Late Night City, Beyond the Dark. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk to David Marler now about a book. But before we talk about the book, I actually want to talk about the fact he's living in New Mexico because I've never spoken to anybody in the world in New Mexico. Hello, David. Hello, Pete. How are you this evening? Well, well, before we talk about this fascinating book of yours, uh, Triangular UFOs, tell me whereabouts in New Mexico you are. I am actually right in the heart of the state, in uh, just outside the city of Albuquerque, New Mexico. What, what's Mexico like? It's a place I've never been. It's actually quite nice. I moved here four years ago. I'm from the Midwest portion of the United States, and uh, with my job relocated out here, and absolutely beautiful. It's it's the high desert. People think we just have nothing but sand, but we we do have greenery. We do have trees. We do have brush. And uh, it's, it's actually quite nice. It's a lovely landscape, uh, beautiful rocks, uh, beautiful geometric formations out here. And uh, as far as the, the, the geography and the rocks and the, 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 the culture is amazing. You have uh, a blending of, of various cultures. You have the Mexican, you have the, um, you know, the Spanish, you have the Pueblo Indians, you have the uh, Apache uh, Native Americans that live uh, here as well. So it's an interesting blend of cultures. Well, you've painted a lovely picture. What time of day is it there? Uh, it's actually afternoon. We have a beautiful sunshine here in the clear blue desert sky. Oh, what a picture. What a picture. So, a clear <laughs> blue desert sky, we would be able to see triangular UFOs, wouldn't we? It well, clear. It, 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 you would be, I wish I could. I, I've not seen one myself. I've certainly researched the subject enough, but I, I just last night I was actually sitting peed on my back patio looking at the beautiful stars and... I saw shooting stars, I saw satellites, but I, I have yet to see one of these triangular UFOs that people have reported over the years. David, before we talk about the book, tell us uh, a, a potted history of who you are and why uh, okay. you're involved in these books. Yeah, I've actually been in, actively investigating the UFO subject for just now going on 26 years. I've uh, been fascinated since I was a, a young man growing up in the Midwest uh, back in the, the 1970s. And uh, my first exposure to the UFO subject was when my father talked about going down to this small little town in the state of Missouri where they were having UFO sightings. And one of the principal witnesses in this wave of UFO sightings they were having, this is 1973, was uh, one of his best friends growing up. And I remember my father, I was only five years old at the time, him telling me, well, if he said he saw something, then he saw something. And he and my older siblings would, would travel down there looking for UFOs on weekends, and a lot of people were doing that at the time. It, uh, the sightings had garnered a lot of local media attention. And so that was my first exposure. I'd never heard of UFOs prior to that, but at, at the young, impressionable age of five years old, that's when I first heard about it. And then two years, uh, actually four years later, in 1977, my sister and her husband had a very dramatic, uh, for lack of a better time, good term, close encounter with a UFO that came right over the, the top of their vehicle and uh, scared them tremendously. And, you know, like many people that witness UFOs, they, they never advertised it. They never told anyone outside the immediate family. But for years and years uh, at various holiday gatherings, they would always talk about it or the subject would come up. And so the UFO subject really kind of hit close to home, you know, when your sister has a dramatic encounter like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, she doesn't drink, she doesn't do drugs, she's not crazy, uh, and there's absolutely no reason for her to make a story up like that. So I thought that was intriguing. And then uh, the, the following year, in 1978, there was another wave of UFO sightings outside of uh, 
St. Louis, Missouri, where I was growing up at the time. And uh, it just continued to galvanize my interest or pique my curiosity. And then in 1990, became actively involved in investigating UFOs and have been gathering and amassing a large library on the subject and uh, uh, make that available to researchers that come through that are interested in delving into old newspaper articles, delving into the, the, the case files. And um, part of that was then uh, taking some of those select cases and putting it into the book that I, that I wrote on a very specific subset of the UFO phenomenon, which I felt needed to be addressed head on. Triangular ones, though. Triangular UFOs. <laughs> Never heard of those before. This is a, a new one yeah. on me. The UFOs, people usually envision flying saucers, yep. right, Pete? That's yep. a, the, the 1950s stereotypical image from the old drive-in you know, horror sci-fi movies. But uh, in uh, point of fact, over the last 20, 30 years, uh, at least uh, looking at some of the statistics, it seems like these triangular UFOs are now becoming the, uh, the primary object being reported by, by eyewitnesses. And um, you know, we thought this started in the late 80s, early 90s, with a famous wave that occurred over in Belgium. And I've since been in touch with Belgian researchers over there that were directly involved in those investigations. And we thought this was something new at the time. But like, like you said, Pete, what, what's this about triangular UFOs? What mm-hmm. happened to the flying saucers we're all familiar with? And in, in point of fact, it started in Belgium, and then reports started circulating elsewhere. Interestingly enough, when I started doing my examination of newspaper articles and declassified military reports, both here in the United States as well as the uh, MOD files that had recently been declassified, what I found was, in fact, that there were waves of these objects being sighted uh, there in the U.K. prior to and then after the Belgian wave. So uh, as I started digging further and further, I found cases going back to the 1970s, 60s, 50s. I even have cases, believe it or not, going back to the late 1880s, where I have an original copy of Scientific American from 1882 that talks about a sighting in 1881 of these, what they called black triangular notches that were seen moving over the lunar surface by astronomers. So, you know, we really have to maybe rethink or reevaluate our take on these things, because to be quite honest, I... My initial thought was maybe this is something military. I I certainly don't jump to the outrageous explanations. I always try to eliminate all the known explanations. And uh, I thought, well, you know, this might be some new stealth aircraft. Who knows? But when you start seeing reports worldwide and then you start doing the history and seeing that they go back very, very far, in fact, (laughs) you know, going back to uh, prior to powered flight as we know it, uh, it really raises some questions. Mm. David, how did you construct the book? Because a difficult book to put together. Uh, well, I'll be honest with you, Pete. I never thought I would write a book. Let me just say that up front. <laughs> I, I've read a lot of UFO books. I have a lot of UFO books here around me, but I never, ever thought I would uh, seriously sit down to write a book. So the fact that we're sitting here talking about it now is still somewhat surreal for me. But um, I, I just simply was sitting here, you know, looking on the Internet, uh, at both, you know, the layperson as well as UFO researchers out there that were making statements that, well, these triangular UFOs are new. This is something new. This only started appearing in the 80s and the 90s. And then, as I mentioned, I started doing my historical analysis, and it's like, well, that statement doesn't meet the facts because here's here's a report from 1950, uh, you know, in the U.K., or here's a report from Denmark, 1957. 
And so I just felt compelled to set the record straight that I don't know what these things are, but I've clearly established based on the book and the research I've done that whatever they are, these reports certainly predate the 1980s. And so part of it was setting the record straight, and another part was trying to uh, recount a, a more accurate, detailed uh, recollection of a case that I personally investigated in 2000, which involved multiple police officers in the state of Illinois here in the United States that had reportedly seen this large triangular object. And what was interesting about that case, Pete, was the fact that they were observing it individually, but they were in radio contact with each other. Mm -hmm. They were on the the police radio band stating, well, whatever it is, it appears to be heading south, at which point then the next officer, miles away to the south, states, yes, I see it, but I don't know what it is. And then he, in turn, recounts it to another police officer who says, I I see this object, it's inside, and it's huge. So you have all of these various police officers from various municipalities describing the same object in radio contact with one another. And what was interesting about that case was not just the event itself, but local media in the St. Louis, Missouri area market took it very seriously, in part, I believe, because we did have a number of police officers whose credibility was really not called into question. I've got to be honest, uh, David, I actually think you're on one of them spaceships now because the sound on your phone is very strange. Very strange. Oh, really? <laughs> just a bit. Oh, Keep, keeps going on and off, on and off. It's very weird. But I honestly believe you're on one of these triangular UFOs. Well, or maybe one's hovering over my house. <laughs> you know, when I, I interview people like you, they write about UFOs all the time. It, it, yes. it must be incredibly frustrating not to see one. Yes, it is. Uh, and, and in fact, it's not for lack of trying. Uh, in, in the 90s uh, and even in the early 2000s, I was going to areas where they were having repeated UFO reports and UFO sightings. And I would literally be out in a farm field where a, an individual had reported seeing a UFO the night or the weekend before. And I was there with my camera, with my night vision gear, with my parabolic recording microphone, trying to record any audio, video. Uh, infrared film to take infrared photography and never seemed to be at the right place at the right time. I, I never was afforded the, the ability to see either a triangular object or any other object for that matter that I couldn't readily identify. Why Why do you think we're so obsessed these days with UFOs and outer space? Uh, well, you know, some, some skeptics say you know, that it's just a, a modern mythology created out of the space age. Um I, I don't know if that's true, though. A lot of the skeptics, and, and Pete, you've probably talked to some over the years, they'll, they'll state, well, you know, people want to see UFOs, so they go out and they see something unusual, and they automatically assume it's alien or extraterrestrial. Uh, these police officers, in the case of the January 5th, 2000 case I investigated, uh, I spoke with them. Uh, I interviewed them, and none of them thought that this was an alien spacecraft. They, they thought They thought... You know, very matter-of-factly, this must be something the military has. Uh, they did not assume that they had seen a UFO mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of an alien spacecraft. They saw a UFO in the sense it was an unidentified flying object, but none of them jumped to the, or left to the conclusion that it was an alien spacecraft. And it, sometimes it's a false narrative that's put out by the skeptics. You know, these people want to see UFOs. None of these officers wanted to see it. In fact, they were laughing initially on the radio transmissions, which we, we have copies of. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're laughing, saying, was this guy dr- drinking that said he saw this thing? And so they were ready to write it off and just dismiss it until 
they were personally witness to seeing this object in the sky. And I, I don't think that the phenomenon goes away simply because every week, every month, there are new people looking up in the sky seeing unusual things. But, mm-hmm. you know, let's be honest, 90% of that stuff is, you know, misidentifications or people had a little bit too much to drink. Uh, but once you eliminate the noise from the data, you're still left with some genuine, unusual objects. And yeah. I was doing an interview this morning, and I was telling someone that if it was just people saying they saw things, I could care less. But as we now have documented time and time again, we have UFO sightings with radar confirmation. We have UFO sightings with radiation trace cases. We have UFO sightings with compressed soil where objects purportedly have landed. So it goes beyond just simple eyewitness testimony. We do have objective, measurable data in some cases. I'm talking to David Marler about a new book called triangular UFOs. David, do you believe the government know more than they're telling us? I think they have to. Uh, You know, Pete, when we look at what they have and the money that they have available to them uh, with satellite technology and all the other instruments at their disposal, I certainly hope that they have more information than we do. Otherwise, you know, our tax tax money is is not going towards much, is it? Uh, I, I think that they know a lot more in the way of information, but I'm of a different opinion than a lot of UFO researchers. A lot of the UFO researchers and community out there say the governments of the world, you know, both there in the U.K. as well as the United States and elsewhere, they know what's going on. They have the information. They have the answers. I'm kind of a, of a different mindset. I, I think that they may have more information, more data, as we were talking about satellite imagery, things of this nature. But information does not necessarily equate to answers. Uh, certainly, I, I didn't have as much information 25 years ago as I do today. But, Pete, I still have the same darn questions plaguing me that I had when I first got involved in the subject. What are these things? Where are they coming from? And why aren't they here? I'm still asking those three basic questions. David, what's the most credible story in your book? What's the one you, you, you really can't get your head around? Well, you know, it, it's hard to say. There are so many that I put in there. Um I think one of the most dramatic or the most well-documented is the one I mentioned regarding the police officers in southern Illinois. I say that because I personally was involved in that investigation, whereas some of the information I, you know, I gathered secondhand from other researchers or newspaper accounts. But I will tell you, uh, there was a, a series of uh, sightings that occurred way back in 1957 in Denmark. And this was documented in the newspapers of the time, as, as well as various newswire service stories, uh, which corroborated the local news reports, where the Danish Defense Intelligence Service was investigating a wave of UFO sightings. Now, remember, this is November 1957 we're talking about. And what they described at the time in the newspaper articles were multiple sightings, in other words, mass sightings by individuals in Denmark of triangular spaceships. That was their word they used at the time, triangular spaceships uh, over Denmark. And they described these large, black, silent, triangular objects that were seen in the sky. In fact, one one of the uh, newswire services sent a reporter out and interviewed this woman that saw this object hovering over a village, and he saw smaller objects coming out of this triangular object. Now, that sounds like the stuff of science fiction, but the article went on to state that the woman's testimony was corroborated by 20 other people that lived in the small town where she, where she was when she had the sighting. So you have these mass sightings, again, going back to 1957, 
another one that, again, takes it beyond just mere eyewitness testimony involved the uh, sighting by a United States Air Force pilot in 1953 over Albany, Georgia. And he was flying along on a solo mission, clear skies at night over the state of Georgia, and he saw this light. And he thought it was unusual because it was extremely intense and it had an extremely defined edge to it. It didn't have that fuzziness like a twinkling star would. And he had some time on his flight, so he thought, well, that's unusual. Um, I wonder if it's a star or a planet. So logically, he decided, well, I'll increase altitude. If it's something within the atmosphere, relatively close, then it should get bigger in my windscreen. If it doesn't, then it's probably a star or a planet, and it's not really going to change perspective much. He increases altitude, and shortly thereafter, he suddenly realizes the light that was above the jet is now below the jet. <laughs> so this eliminated any star or planet. And so he looks down at this object, and it starts alternating white, orange, white, orange. And so he decides to take a closer look. He now uh, decreases altitude and starts to close in on this light. And this is in the official Air Force Project Blue Book report uh, involving UFO sightings. The report in the government military file states, as he approached the light, it then took on the form of an equilateral triangle. And as if that's not strange enough, the report continues by stating, as he observed the triangular shape, it then divided into two triangles, which then disappeared in different directions. Now, in 1953, I asked you, Pete, what would we have that could perform yeah. characteristics like that? Wow. Indeed. Now, the interesting, <laughs> the interesting side note is that the Albany, Georgia airport confirmed radar confirmation of an unknown target in the exact location at the same time that this pilot had his sighting. Wow. Are you pleased with the book, now, David? I, I am. I, I'm quite pleased. I'm not so pleased with the book so much as the response, Pete. I, I've had a tremendous response worldwide, I might add, right. uh, by individuals that either A, found it captivating just based on, on the questions that it poses, but more importantly, and, and this is where, as a, as a first-time author, Pete, I, I was rather naive, my goal was to get the information out there. What I wasn't prepared for was the avalanche of emails and letters I received from people, again, worldwide, mm -hmm. stating, thank you for writing this book. I had a sighting in this year. I've told my friends, my family, they laugh at me. They say I was crazy. But what you described in this book is almost verbatim what I saw 20, 30 years ago. You say about the emails and everything. How can people find out more about you? Well, I have my website. Uh, it's at www.davidmarler.com. M-A-R-L-E-R U-F-O dot com Simple as that. Have you got the next book planned? I am tentatively working on a new project. Uh, I, I, I've kind of become known within UFO circles as the triangle guy. <laughs> but but, but much, like, much like an actor, I don't want to get stereotyped into one role. So mm. my, my library covers a wide array of, of UFO subject matter going back to the 1800s and uh, involving military reports of all different shapes and sizes, as well as newspaper articles and books. But uh, there's a case here in New Mexico. As I mentioned, I moved out here four years ago. And there's a case here in New Mexico that occurred way back in 1950 that, other than one or two individuals that looked into it somewhat, has never really been investigated. Now, 
you might ask, and your listeners might ask, well, why is he, why is he delving into a case that old? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> this occurred back in March of 1950, and in, in point of fact, it occurred over a three-day period, and the sightings were in broad daylight. Wow. And the sightings involved anywhere from dozens to estimated hundreds, and that's, that's the quotes from the newspaper, hundreds of UFOs, they were calling them flying disks or flying saucers at the time, that were being reported flying in formations over the city or town of Farmington, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And this was reported by an estimated hundreds of individuals in and around Farmington, New Mexico. Three full days of multiple overflights of disc-shaped objects seen by hundreds of individuals. Uh, you know, when it comes to a UFO case, it doesn't get much better than that. And uh, my research has shown that it wasn't just in Farmington. Pete, uh, in the state of New Mexico, there were UFO sightings occurring from the beginning of March to the end of March, extending into Texas and all the way down into Mexico, across the, the southern border into Mexico, Mexico City and Monterey, and involving multiple sightings of UFOs. David, the book's called, the new book is called Triangular UFOs. You're David Marler. What's your website again? My website is www.davidmarlerufo.com. Thank you so much for talking to us.